Hello, fine friends, and welcome to episode 55 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick, who I will finally be meeting in less than two weeks. This is this is super exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really hoping that our recording in two weeks is a positive one, not just us yeah. crying into the mics. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be going down to... Uh, visit you to see Justice League. You know, since it was the DCE universe that uh, got us sucked into this mess in the first place, it only seems fitting that uh, our first meeting should be around another one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited about it, and I feel like I have a lot of reason to be positive. But with the internet being the internet, it seems <laughs> every day I have more and more reason to doubt. But we will see. We'll see it in its IMAX glory, and and then I guess we'll know how it turns out. Yeah, either way, it's going to be fun. All right, and I think also now is a good time to tell you that this will be our last official episode for probably uh, about a month or so. Um, I'll get into all the details uh, at the end of the episode, but suffice to say that we have some really uh, cool things on the horizon for this show. Um, And today is my pick, and we are reviewing Joseph Kaczynski's Oblivion. Um, but before we get into that, I want to take a moment to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. All right. And before we move into the main topic, uh, have you seen any cool movies this week uh, that you want to mention, James? Yeah. So last night, um, I rewatched Baby Driver with a friend who hadn't seen it. And that's a movie that just never gets old. <laughs> I I really do like that movie. I feel like more and more every time I watch it, uh, there's... So many things. There's there's even a couple of things. Um, this time I didn't bother writing it down, but there are a couple of things I noticed this time that I hadn't before, and um, and it's it's really fun watching that movie with someone who hasn't seen it before, and just watching them as they realize like the detail that this movie goes through, like with all of the the shootouts and the car chases, every everything that Wright goes through to like have this so meticulously crafted it's, it's just really cool to see people be like whoa i've i've never seen that in a movie before um so obviously that was a really enjoyable experience um before that uh and this is the only other movie i've seen uh, i watched the movie the right starring anthony hopkins and i forget the other actor's name i think he was in i saw these in like once upon a time um i don't remember his name though and he, uh, the, the film was, it was pretty good. Um, Anthony Hopkins gives an amazing performance. It's like, that's no surprise, but it's a really, really like nuanced performance. He plays a, um, a priest who performs exorcisms in Rome and the lead character is like finished seminary, but still doubts or not finished ceremony, uh, seminary. He's almost done. Um, but has decided that it's not for him. And he's essentially being threatened by the, the university saying, unless you finish, at least give this one course a try. And if you don't, we are, you know, you are here on loan and we were going to take care of the loan if you finish. But if you don't, then you're going to be like, you know, however many thousands of dollars in debt. And so, and they're they're looking for, more exorcists because it's a job that nobody really wants. And so they send him off to take this course over it uh, where he meets Anthony Hopkins. And 
you know, witnessing everything going on there and it leads to a, a climax with uh with Hopkins. I won't spoil everything, but it, it was actually pretty good. There the lead actor is kind of wooden. Um there's really not a lot of charisma there. Um but the story itself is interesting, the idea of witnessing exorcisms and you know, trying to rationalize them and struggling with your own doubt. It's just, it's a really cool premise and Anthony Hopkins makes it worth watching. So I'd recommend it if you're looking for a cool movie in that genre. Hmm. I'm not, but okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so I saw uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, you know, it being the fourth film in the <laughs> 11 film series. That makes sense. Uh, and it's exact. It's the exact same film as parts one, two, and three. These are all the exact same movie, and they're just diminishing returns with each and every chapter because, I mean, it just it just reveals how empty and useless this series is. You know, it, there's there's not even a, an attempt to have any kind of you know personality, and you know the, the kills and the violence is just it's just kind of routine and boring by now. So it's it's just you know, teens. They come to a camp, they die, and then in the last ten minutes, a final girl rises up and fights back and wins. And it's just all the exact same story over and over again. And there's there's no like there's no, nothing skillful in the direction. It's all just as bland as can be. Um, it's, it's it's these films are not good. I don't I don't see how this series got to eleven films. Yeah, I've. I love the slasher genre. I love horror movies in general, but this has been a series that I've just never really been able to get into like everyone else. Like the the first the first one is fine for what it is, but you know, like you're saying that it's almost the exact same routine with every other movie. Like with the exception of movies like Jason Takes Manhattan and Jason in Space which really apart from like the first three, which give you a sense of what the series is, those ones are the only other ones that are mildly entertaining just because of how much they change up the, uh, the concept. But yeah, I remember one Halloween, we had a huge marathon and everybody was in it like really into it. And I was just thinking this, this has just gotten super dumb and repetitive. So yeah, I, I'm getting, I've gotten, I kind of sort of low-key enjoy the first one, but I've gotten nothing out of it since then. Uh, then in preparation for Ragnarok, I watched Thor The Dark World. And this this is definitely my least favorite MCU film. Like It's, it's not bad. None of them are bad. They're all you know fun to watch, wow. but it's just pretty bland. and fr- None of them are bad, even Incredible Hulk, James. Wow, no. uh, <laughs> it's just pretty bland and forgettable. Um, I think it's just the main problem is the writers just had no idea what to do with Thor as a character, so they don't. There's no uh, growth or character arc of any kind for him in the film, and it's made even worse because like the villains have no like it, there's no personal connection or anything between him and the villains. So it's just random bad guys want to destroy the universe, and Thor's going to hit him with a hammer. Um, it's just there's so much. It's just so underwhelming. There's no no, no, no stakes. There's no nothing personal about any of it. And you know, to make it all worse, Alan Taylor is—he's a perfectly fine director, um, but he doesn't have like any distinct, uh, you know, personality or in, in how in how you, when you watch his films, you don't see anything anything distinct about his direction. And 
he just does even the the there are a couple of decent action scenes, but there's never like anything like real, super exciting. It's all just it's fine. Um, and but one thing I absolutely do love about this movie is Loki. I think they did a really good job continuing his character growth from Thor to the Avengers to here. And I think the the growth and development we get with his character is really believable, and I think it's actually very effective. Um, I think you know Tom Hiddleston is just a pure joy to watch every second he's on screen. So his little chapter in the middle of it, I think, is really good inside of a kind of underwhelming film. Yeah, that's probably my favorite performance from him in the whole series. Um, the scene when he's told of Frigga's death is like surprisingly good in an otherwise bland movie and one of my even though the movie itself is only okay one of my favorite like self-contained sequences in the whole series is the escape from asgard that's one of the most (laughs) fun and enjoyable like chase scenes ever and uh there is just such a great chemistry with uh chris hemsworth and tom hiddleston and what i to me what i kind of noticed was that when Thor was with any other character, he was just kind of there. And like you said, there's no there's nothing really he's working through, any like any sort of serious real character growth or anything. And he is almost as a character kind of boring. But when he's with Loki, like their dynamic together is so good and believable. And I feel like, okay, no, this is a character who's kind of maturing and um I don't know, if, if the the scenes that they share together are just really good and enough to elevate above. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, and then uh, I saw a movie called Pilgrimage. It's this like tiny little period uh, indie drama. Um, it stars Tom Holland and John Bernthal. Uh, it was actually uh, it came out uh, this year, but it was made it was uh, shot before either of them had like been cast in Marvel. It's a cool story that uh, Tom Holland actually helped John Bernthal shoot his. Uh, his Punisher um, audition while they were um, making this film. Yeah, I heard about that. Um, and also it has uh, Thor and Oak and Shield, and he is just amazing. And also we're uh, very convincingly French. Um, it's about a group of monks in like a, in like a medieval Ireland. They're taking a sacred relic to Rome. Um, and it explores a lot of really fascinating questions about, you know, the nature of faith and, you know, doubt, redemption and, how politics uses religion or vice versa. Um, and I think it does it in an interesting way to where it, it just, it'll just present our characters with situations that force the audience, you know, to think about and consider these questions. And, but it, it, it but it rarely, you know, it doesn't bring it up, you know, in, in like direct dialogue. So it, you, you got, you got to mind this, these ideas out of it. And I thought it was really subtle and I liked it in that front. Unfortunately, I think the ending, it just doesn't, it never really reckons with its ideas. It just kind of, it feels pretty anticlimactic the way it ends, and you're just kind of left feeling kind of empty. Even though I, I really like, the, I really like the journey to get there. Um, so yeah, the the acting is really good, uh, and I think they make really good use of the like the Irish landscape. This this feeling of like cold, stark brutality that I think really convinces you of the you know the, the terrible very medieval time period they're in. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty solid, but a uh, very underwhelming ending, unfortunately. And uh, finally, I saw Thor Ragnarok, and I, I'm st- I still have a lot of different mixed thoughts on it. I, I definitely want to see it again before I get final thoughts. Uh, I guess suffice to say, it's a very, very 
funny and entertaining comedy, but it may, it probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> uh, I just I, I'll, I don't know. It's just it. As far as you know, it's Taika Waititi, so it's a hysterical uh, film, and you can tell he really got to just go free with it. But I, I think the story of Ragnarok and what where where the script goes would have benefited from a more dramatic hand. So what we get is a very I think successful and good movie. But I I think looking at the script we got, I think this could have been the best Marvel film if it was taken seriously. Wow. <laughs> so it's just like. So we, we we get a good film, and I'm happy we got a good film, and it's it's you know it's full of personality and full of fun. I had a blast watching it, but it's like, but it could have been this if it were a completely different film. So it's 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 interesting. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch, though. I'll probably be seeing it tonight, hopefully. Um, and the the only thing from Taiki Waititi I've seen was What We Do in the Shadows, which I think is absolutely hilarious. One of my favorite comedies of recent years. Um, and so that's why I was worried when he got uh, hired as a director. I was like, wait, do they know what Ragnarok is? Like, <laughs> then who this guy is as a director. It just seems like there's a, a disconnect there. But uh, I guess I'll see you tonight. It's kind of the price you pay, I guess, for getting these highly up, these directors with huge personalities is... They are. They don't necessarily respect the property as much as you would wish. Sometimes, mm. uh, but oh well. It is what it is. Is there anything else you want to mention before we get into the main topic? I think I'm ready. All right, let's begin our review for Oblivion. Oblivion was released in 2013, it was directed by Joseph Kaczynski on a budget of $160 million, and it only grossed $286 million. Um, you know, people say they want original sci-fi right up until someone makes it. Uh, it stars Tom Cruise, Andrea Riseborough, Olga Kurlenko, Morgan Freeman, Melissa Leo, and uh, Jamie Lannister, who's also known as uh, Nikolai Kuster waldo but he's Jamie Lannister. Uh, it was written by... Uh, I should have practiced this name. <laughs> Carl Gajuzek, uh and Michael DeBrian, based on an original concept from Kaczynski. Uh, it was shot by Claudio Miranda, and the really fantastic score was composed by M83 and Joseph Trapanese. And uh, James, I'll get you to read uh, the brief synopsis. Okay. A veteran assigned to extract Earth's remaining resources begins to question what he knows about his mission and himself. All right, so this is actually your first time seeing it, right? Yes. And uh, what did you think about it? I really liked it a lot. And I was kind of scared that I wouldn't just because it came and went. And to me, there there wasn't really, from my view, any perceived like cult following or anything. It just seemed like it, it came out. And then it left theaters, and it just left everybody's mind. So I was like, man, this movie had to have been like just super boring or something. But I was really pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed it. Well, nice. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't catch it in theaters. I really wish I did. But I, I remember hearing, you know, they get pretty negative reaction. I think it's like only like a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then when I saw it, I was like, 
this is actually a really special movie. Um, you know, it, it's criticized for, you know, it says they'll you know, cobble together concepts from other sci-fi films, and I, and I won't deny that, but I think what Joseph Kaczynski gives us is a very good film on its own right, and honestly, I think it explores its ideas in a, in a, in a very different way. Um, the one thing that everyone does praise about this movie is the visuals, and it's it's I think it, it is something truly incredible that uh Joseph Kaczynski uh, envisioned uh with a, a, a beautiful apocalypse it's just you could tell yeah there's a lot of destruction but I've never seen the end of the world look so good yeah visually this is one of like just speaking solely on visuals this is one of my favorite sci-fis it is one of the most gorgeous looking movies ever. Um, and one of the things I was thinking was this, Kavinsky found a way, or Kaczynski found a way to have the apocalypse look gritty and lived in and dour while still being super sleek and stylish. Like there's, there's this weird balance of everything. It, the world looks like it just went through an apocalypse. Like you see the remnants and the ruins and rubble and things like that, it looks like something crazy. Like we're coming on the tail end of something crazy, but it's still just so sleek and gorgeous. Um, and so yeah, just just the look of the environments is pretty great. And I, I love just how casual it is about how beautiful this world is. It doesn't f- feel like it's just constantly doing these epic money shots. It just feels like. Oh, he's he's just flying, and that's just stuff in the background. Or, or he's just having lunch on a mountaintop. That's you know where you can see the entire world below him. It's just it's just it feels so casual and everyday in the way this like really stark beauty is presented. Yeah, and, and then just beyond the actual environments themselves, I just want to talk about how freaking great the the aesthetic is of the more sci-fi elements, like the drones, the way they move looks so cool like just stabilizing and looking like they're just suspended perfectly in midair and then flying around like in in uniform with the almost in like jet like formations and the uh, the visuals of I, f- I forget what they're what they're called but the things that are sucking up the water um the the vistas of these huge beautiful landscape shots with these giant uh, floating stations that are just draining the oceans. They're so almost haunting. It it looks very real, but very sci-fi at the same time. And then the Tet looks really, really cool. And then his house that's suspended by this giant thin pole. It's just, it's a really, really cool aesthetic and visuals. And the CGI is great. It's just the world between the, the actual environments and landscape and the original vision for all for what this sci-fi future looks like this is really really cool. And I, I think what makes this so distinctive from so many other post-apocalyptic things we've seen is that so much so much of it is actually real. Um, like I watched th- through all the special features, and a lot of that is actually like shot in was shot in Iceland, um, which really looks like it belongs on another planet. But like they, so, almost all those landscapes are partially real. They're just kind of like digitally uh, uh, 
expanded, um, you know, to add in the ships or the buildings. So it gives everything a real tactile feel. Like it never just feels. It never feels like we're just looking. Oh, we're looking at CGI. Oh, look, there's more CGI. It feels real. Um, and one one of the really cool examples is that uh, you know, the stadium where he repairs the first drone. Yeah. That is actually inside of the top of a volcano. So that that whole mound of dirt around him is completely real. It's just they kind of they just digitally added the remnants of the stadium. So it's like it's the, so all of that is a completely real set or location. It's just really smart use of uh, the resources to cre- to create something that is tangible. Yeah, I was about to say that that's that's what this future looks like. It's a very tangible looking future. It's one that. To me, whenever a sci-fi film takes place on Earth and Earth doesn't really feel familiar, then like something's something's been done wrong. But here, it was just the right balance of this. This looks believable. There, there are things here that are obviously out of the movies, but it looks believable enough. Um, and I, I love the the distinction between the ruin, like the just this decrepit and decaying ruins around him juxtaposed with like these machines that look like they never have like a speck of dirt on them and everything is so sleek and smooth and stylish um it's cool how well they blend together to make really really great shots of seeing like this shiny chrome uh big space station or these perfectly smooth and round drones around this this world that looks like it's really been through it recently. Um, just everything about the visuals look great. It it looks a lot, even though I think the design itself is very unique to it, there was a lot about the aesthetic that kind of reminded me of things like Destiny and Halo, um, where it's like they're, they're looking at what's made sci-fi work before, and then they're making it their own. And I just think it's really, really cool. Yeah, um... <laughs> we normally talk about like story and characters first, but the the production design of this movie is, is so stunning. I, um, just as you said, you know the 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 designs, especially for the ships and the drones, are so they look great, but there is something like very stark and utilitarian about every everything that they have in this film. Just feels like every piece has a distinct purpose. There are absolutely no frills. And, but but there's still just a really lovely elegance, I think, to how to how uh, utilitarian it is. Um, you know, be it the drones or the, the house. Oh my gosh, that house is amazing, or the the bubble ship, which I want. I really want one of those. Uh, yeah, it's that, that's. I mean, that, that, for me, that's like you know up there with the X wing as some of the coolest uh, designs for a you know a, 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 a futuristic vehicle. Um, the things they do with it. And just back to the house. What's really cool is, you know, the, the windows around them, they actually went to the top of a mountain and like filmed 24 seven, like 360 shots and then projected that onto the windows. So it, it's not, it's not green screen. It's actually, that is a real projection of what it would look like at that altitude on the windows. Oh wow! And just you know, all these things that come together to make I think something that is really special. Um, we haven't even gotten to the story and characters, which I also like. But just you, you want to live in that house. That house feels so real and tangible, like something something you could actually go to. That pool is pretty awesome. 
Like, yes. it's such a cool idea. Um, I had something else, and it's to me this is just kind of a testament to the detail that they go through because this I can't really think of other movies where I I noticed this at least to the uh, to the extent where I'm willing to bring it up like this, but just the physics of everything, um, the way the drones move, like whenever they're hit and they just kind of fall around and are tossed about here and there, and and then his little uh, bubble spacecraft. The way that moves, it's almost like when you got like the, the, the toy helicopters that you could f- like use a remote to fly around where like the tail, the tail end just kind of gets tossed about, but the front, the front end is uh, completely in control. And there are certain scenes where he comes in to land after, you know, he's coming in really fast and the, the tail end is kind of being tossed back and forth and he slowly stabilizes or the way the way the thing takes off, which is just amazing, like diving backwards off of this platform, um, it just moves in a very believable way. It, it doesn't it doesn't look like they're they're making it look cool just because it's a sci-fi. There's there's just something very real. It looks like these these sci-fi crafts are operating under like real life physics. Um, it all just feels like it's moving very realistically. And it's interacting with our environment realistically. Yeah, and that, that circular design allows him some really cool moments. I, like as you said, you know, where he flips over backwards, or um, the way the drones, like the, <laughs> the the one sequence towards the end when they're attacking the uh, the human compound, and the guy behind the guy shoots one of the drones from behind, and the arm just flips over backwards and shoots and blasts him. Um, or when during the canyon battle, just where. They're flying at full speed, and they can just instantly flip completely over and stop and go in the other direction. It's just things I haven't seen before in, in a, like a dog sci-fi dogfight that were just so cool, um, but but feel completely possible with the vehicles and creations we are given. Yeah, and the uh, man, one of the coolest parts of that was as he's he continues to fly straight, but turns around and is. Obviously, there's no window behind him now, so it, like it, it digitally recreates the environment, and he's still shooting. That's such a cool idea to me, um, and I, I love the uh, the the HUD of the different things. Like looking through when, when you look through the screen in the ship, and you actually see a visual representation of you know the the area that you're not to like cross because of contamination and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of integrate that into the environment um at least as you're perceiving through uh, these screens it just looks super cool and again it reminded me of video games in the best way possible like is it's really cool ideas that they use in games for the sake of the player but you kind of look at it in the game and think this is cool beyond its usage and so to see that implemented in a movie where it just it looks cool and it makes sense uh, so there's just a lot of really cool touches like that throughout yeah and they like they they actually they built like they had real drone props they built that that up that up bubble ship to where you know they actually when when they shot like the chase and the flying scenes they had that that glass bubble on like a, a gyroscope or whatever you whatever you call it so they could actually mimic all the motion so it, you see them you see them react in a really real way inside of that ship to all the the outside movement and influences. Um, again, I, I keep I keep saying it just it just feels real. 
And that's to say it's it feels real is such a big compliment here just because of how how sci-fi it is and how it wears that on its sleeve. It, these are very futuristic kind of designs. Um, but yet even the craziest of designs in this movie feels believable. Um, so yeah, just every, the production designer, I'm not sure who it is, but man, this movie just looks fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, uh, moving on to the characters. Uh, I mean, I, I adore Tom Cruise. I mean, forgetting, I don't know about his personal life, but, you know, as an actor, as, as a performer, he makes, you know, the most normal and mundane things look so awesome no matter what he's, but he, but even then he, you completely buy that he's, you know, he's just a highly competent blue collar worker. That's something he plays really well. Even, even like the Mission Impossible series, you get the feeling he's just, he's just a guy who's really good at his job and like the way he, he moves he feels so at home in this world. Like, it's just the way he'll carry a gun. Like, that looks cool. I want to hold a gun like that. He just has such a a control over his body movement and, and a performance that you, you just... I, I could watch him, you know, just, you know, go, getting up, eating breakfast, going to the office and coming home. If it was just a movie about that, I could watch it. He's just really watchable as a performer. And... Even, you know, just his uh, as an actor, you know, I completely buy he's a guy who is, you know, completely in love with this world, this, you know, crazy post-apocalyptic, beautiful world he's in. He like he he's told he shouldn't be, but he he, he just can't help feeling at home like he belongs here. Um, and you really you really, uh, you know, get on board with his character, the way the little the little ways which that um kind of manifest itself whether it's you know narrating an ancient uh, a classic uh baseball game or or just you know going to his little cabin in the woods and listening to uh records while playing basketball it's just there's something there's something so uh rugged and likable about his character yeah i remember we kind of talked about it whenever we um reviewed um war of the worlds where it, it feels like he's able to bring a movie star level of swagger to a very down-to-earth kind of character like in that you know this he's, he plays a very flawed father who's trying to protect his kids but he just there's still just something inherently likable about him and in, and here this this feels like something that we could we could meet on the streets well with it taking uh the world going are essentially being invaded in 2017 then he definitely plays the character intentionally plays the character someone we could meet today um but he he feels like a very real world kind of character put into the situation like he's essentially just a future uh, a futuristic mechanic repairing drones and this and that so despite how stylish um and sci-fi the environments look he's just kind of i'm gonna put some chewing gum here do this and that he feels very very real and uh i love the scene where he goes by himself to this cabin that he's made it almost felt like the movie itself was paused it's like the the plot and focus of this movie is is going to stop right now and we're going to have like a 15 minute peek into this guy's life outside of the plot outside of the reason the audience is here just to kind of further make you believe in this world 
you know, th- this scene, while it does, you know, it- it's important for his character, it's just such a, it feels like a little aside that's meant to ha- to present this world in a more believable way. This is This is a very real person who has very real connections to the world that we know and are familiar with. And so to go from seeing this, this wasteland with these floating space stations to just a guy in the woods playing basketball and listening to, you know, to seventies rock and things like that. It, I love that that scene is, was able to make the cut because it really grounds the world and the character. Um, and yeah, just watching him pull that cap on it, even just the way he pulls the cap on over his face. It looks like, <laughs> like this is a, this is a guy who's about to go to the Yankees game. He just feels very, very real. Yeah, uh, and I like how the memories were kind of incorporated into it. Just like, I, I think the whole mystery aspect of this film, I think, is really well handled. Um, you know, the, 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 we are presented with this, you know, kind of perfect world, except for, you know, he has these flashes of memory with this woman on on the Empire State Building that just, that, that keep him, you know, unlike his, uh, or like his partner Vika, they they keep him from fully embracing the reality he's presented with. You know, he keeps trying to go back to the old way. Um, and I think and, and Andrea Riseborough as Vika is really really excellent in this movie. Um, and it, 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 she's kind of a fascinating character. Um, like he, she desperately wants the world to be what it appears to be. Like you know, they have everything they need. Um, like they have a story that explains the world and makes sense. They have a job to do. And you, she obviously really loves um, Jack's character. So she just wants to hold this, this, this reality that she believes together. And I think it's it's really actually kind of reflective of how people do react to, uh, um, you know, outside would be, you know, like philosophies or things that kind of would, change their perspective of the world they just got they kind of just they want to shrink into themselves to avoid you know facing whatever how scary the world can be if if you don't know um and i i love the way she just is i think it's super subtle just through a, a lot of you know glances and uncomfortable looks and like subtle hints to Jack, she, she's she's just desperately trying to cling this, cling to what she has, um, and the way the film slowly takes that away from her, like you know, first you have, you know, uh, it, slowly the drones are being picked off, and the, then the uh, the water sucker thing gets crashed, and like, and like the whole mission is being jeopardized, and and then she also feels that Jack is, she feels that you know Jack wants to stay, he loves this world, so she's trying to push him in the other way, and then. And all of a sudden, there's this other, there's a spaceship crash and another woman. And it's just you just feel her being kind of stripped raw. But and the 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 way her character is, she could have so easily become just an unlikable villain. But there is something so just completely human about everything she does. It, you know, it's all emotions and reactions we can relate to, even though she makes some very bad decisions that almost doom humanity. I, I like that it's these it's the simplest of human attributes that almost doom humanity in this case uh i just, I just think and just her performance is really um really good and i think it, 
I buy completely buy all her emotions and whatever she's feeling at any moment. Yeah, I think it's like a deceptively nuanced performance. Like you said, there there are so many different scenes in which, I mean, there's dialogue in it, but so much of what we're meant to take from that scene is given just in glances and looks and subtle changes of an expression. Like we we really learn a lot about her character initially and how comfortable she is with this this world but you know jack is consistently with with the flowers and with telling her about this this classic game and she's you know she humors him when she can but whenever she sees you know like the breach of protocol she acts on it like she is looking forward to the future and then the second thing seemed to threaten that you know she reacts in a way that's not like a, we not in the way that the villain would react, but just in the way that a flawed human would react. Um, and I think there's some really great acting whenever Julia first arrives, because the way she plays it, um, the way Vicka plays it, isn't like this unrealistically evil person. She's like, oh no, there's another woman here. She, you know, she, she sees her, she tries to help her. She says, you know, you, you've lost your crew. I don't understand if you want to be alone. She's being as kind and cordial as possible while still saying, yeah, she's got to go. Like, this is this is not what our life is supposed to look like right now. Um, and then, you know, th- there's multiple scenes where it's so obvious how much she cares for Jack. And you know, the, the scenes in which she requ- requests drones go down. It seems like in those scenes, she's constantly just got tears welling in her eyes and She's trying to convince Sally that everything's okay, and you can hear the tremble in her voice. It's just very believable. And then I remember thinking, whenever she decides not to open the door, that's a moment that I'm supposed to like just hate her character and be like, you are the villain. And while I'm very much annoyed with her, uh, and annoyed with the short-sightedness of her character, I'm annoyed in a good way. I'm annoyed in the way the movie wants, but in, in reality, I still... If you as a viewer can force yourself to see everything from her perspective, while you don't agree with her decision, you understand it. She has had this world that she's been very comfortable with. And like I believe, you know, legitimately loves this world and who she's with and is excited about leaving, the prospect of leaving and joining everyone else on Titan. So whenever you have this world just crashing down around you, you only really have the one person who you can project these human emotions onto. And so it makes so much sense that she would that she would refuse to open the door and she would turn on him because every negative emotion she has about everything that's happened can only... He, he is the outlet for her. Um, so that scene, while, while I'm annoyed with her character, I'm annoyed with her character in a good way because she feels very real. Um, and so... I'm feeling the emotions that Kaczynski wanted me to feel. Yeah, and actually, on this second viewing, I'm pretty sure that she also remembers, she has memories of Julia. Um, Like that scene where she won't let him in, she's she's saying, it was always her. Um, And and in the flashback where they're in the spaceship and they, they first come upon the Tet, I'm pretty sure that she has a crush on Jack's character in that moment. So it, 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 I think the really it seems to me like she already she liked him then, 
And now that she has that those feelings have kind of come onto her, her clone to where, but she also has those doubts. She has the memories of him with the other woman. And I think that explains a lot of her negative reactions to uh, Julia when she comes. I hadn't even thought about that, but that actually makes a lot of sense. And I think that makes her character even better. Like, um, I, I think there is a line where I, I wish I wrote this down because I remember thinking like this, this is significant. It's probably it'd make for you know, something good to bring up during the recording. But whenever the doors open and he's try- trying to convince her that she knows something's not right. This isn't right. There's no Titan. And she seems almost to accept it. Like, she understands but just doesn't care because she wants this world and that makes so much more sense if you look at it with her having liked him in the previous life you know she said you know know, we are a team uh refusing to leave him and so now to me that adds an entirely new layer that she she was already a very real world situation in which she was she she has a crush on this man that she can be with. And then now out of nowhere, she's living her dream. You know, the, the wife is no longer a factor and she has this perfect little life with him and no one else around to ruin it. Like to go from wanting this to getting this completely and then having to lose it again, you can makes that makes her turn on him all the more believable. Yeah, and her death in the end, we don't there's there's no satisfaction in her death. It's just so tragic. It it's just it's kind of a, just such such a simple believable human tragedy that her you know is her life. And I I like the way and it makes sense, you know, that that reading especially in how she is really the one driving this relationship. Obviously, they're the only two humans on the planet, so it kind of makes sense for them to be together. But it's almost like his cabin is like his mistress, like the way in which he um he kind of goes off off the comms to go to the cabin. You can tell he he doesn't seem to, he doesn't seem as to, he he sees that something is wrong. He feels lacking something, and but the, the cool thing is they they actually have really good chemistry together. They're a believable couple, but still, there's just that kind of. Ne- even in the first couple of scenes, there's this kind of nagging difference where you think that any other circumstances, they probably wouldn't have been together. And maybe they're, like, they're not the best match for each other kind of thing. I think it's really uh, well played and subtle. Yeah, and it's... Even with the cabin, it feels... It does feel like, you know, this is his place to be by himself um, because there is just kind of a disconnect in... In worldview, he he views the earth as something worth fighting for, and you know, with his line, "We won the war, and we're the ones who have to retreat." You know, it's just so wrong in his eyes, and it seems so fine in hers. And so, there's very much just this fundamental disconnect between the two and the way they look at their surroundings. But I still buy his affection for her. You know, like when he says, "There's a place I want to take you to." It feels as if this is all very, while this is his place to leave, he he still wants to experience it with her. And his ultimate desire 
isn't that he wouldn't have to be with her so he could experience the way or the life he wants to live on earth. His ultimate desire is that she would want to with him. And so it, it is this. Yeah, he wants to, sh- he wants to share what he loves with the woman he loves. Yeah. And, and so it feels very real in the, where there are disagreements while they're written on purpose for the, the sake of the plot. They just feel very real world. Like this is, like you said, Maybe under other circumstances, they wouldn't have gravitated towards each other the way they do. But there are two very real feeling people who are making the best of what they have and have grown to love each other. Um, and so, yeah, just everything about their dynamic feels completely authentic to to how humans behave. Yeah. Um, and that brings you to... Uh- Olga Kurylenko um, as Julia. Um, I think she gives a very good performance, um, but I think, unfortunately, I, think I find the ca- character very underwritten. Um, like, there's a scene, like the, the scene on top of the Empire State Building, where we finally learn the truth of who she is. I think that that's a really powerful scene, and where, and where she's like. She's like, you're telling him, like, I'm your wife. This is where you proposed to me. I think she really goes for it and sells that scene. Um, I like how the memories, like, they shift from black and white to color as he accepts them as a, a reality. Um, but I, I feel like we should have gotten more from her as a person. You know, just It feels like she mostly exists simply as a plot device. To um, And... I, I think the the film as a whole would have been stronger if we got to you know spend more time with her, just more characterization, figure out who she is, maybe a bit more about their her previous relationship with Jack. As it is, like she doesn't have a lot of dialogue; she's just kind of standing, just kind of just standing off to the edge on a lot of the, the film, and it feels like a miss, missed opportunity, especially because I really enjoy when she when she gets a chance to act. I really like her performance. Yeah, she's definitely the least interesting of the two between her and Vika. Um, it it seems like she is trying to squeeze the best performance she can out of a very minimalistic role in which she's she's always incredibly expressive she's always reacting to everything in a very very real and emotional way but that's almost what her character is she she was introduced into the plot to kind of upset the established order and to be the inciting incident uh, and on occasion give us some exposition. Uh, but other than that, she's kind of only there. She comes and she she is useful to the plot and then she's reactionary after that. She's just kind of watching everything else unfold. Um, and as for her as a person... I just don't really feel like I got to know her very well. Like, yeah. if you were to ask me different things that the movie doesn't even explicitly say about people like Vika, I could say, well, according to what the movie says about her, I have a very good idea of what she would do because it does such a good job of giving us her personality and the way she handles situations and the way she reacts to situations. But with um, with his actual wife, it just, with, with Julia, it feels... Like, there's just not a whole lot of personality written into the character. And then she does have just so little dialogue that it's almost impossible um, for the actress to 
to try to give personality because you can't really give personality to non-existent lines. So, I don't know, I just, like I said, I just I don't really feel like I know who she is as a person the way I do people like Vika and people like Jack. Yeah, uh, I think you know so much of the film and the characterization I think is super subtle. And in this case, I think it's a weakness. Although there was one interesting scene where after she, after she's gotten out of the hospital bay and they're eating together, and when uh you know, uh, Vika is making it very clear that her and Jack are a couple of together, she's kind of bursts out laughing like there's something ironic about it. And I'm thinking maybe maybe she already knew maybe beforehand that Vika had it on for her husband. I wonder if that one was like, huh, you finally got him or something. I, I just like, I just wish we had just that little bit more from her character to really, you know, get to, as you say, get to know her. Yeah. And I, I think something that would have helped that would be if there maybe was a little bit more interaction between Julia and Vika instead of just Julia and Jack, because with Jack, she's just kind of playing this, this character's like, whose sole intention right now is to convince him of something by showing him things. There's there's really not a lot of conflict between the two. Um, but with, with her and Vic, I think there was an opportunity to really have these different personalities kind of clash in a way that's tiptoeing around like the big reveal. And it could have been interesting. Uh, and like you said, we do get moments of this this laughter at it. Cause that's, that's what I thought. I didn't think, you know, oh, you, you finally have him, but that, that's, that's what I think now. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I think that that is definitely the intention of the scene and, and of, of all of those kinds of scenes in the film. But you, you do get a sense of, she's still laughing even without that aspect. She's just laughing at the irony of it. You know, she, she wakes up 60 years later to find this woman, who is like happily living in this situation constructed by the people that they all went to defeat. Like there's, there's just something ironic about that. And so we get to see bits of her personality like come out that in spite of these surroundings, she's, she can, she's a human and she can chuckle to herself about the absurdity of it all. And I, I do wish we got more moments like that. Yeah. Uh, and for the the final, I guess, main character, you, got, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman, <laughs> I guess, you know, if I have to have someone tell me that, you know, my entire understanding of the universe is complete fabrication, you know, let it be either a Morgan Freeman or Lawrence Fishburne or something. They, I, I'll believe whatever they say kind of thing. Yeah, they all they have to do is say something with conviction. And I'm like, yep, that's all right. I buy it. I'm in. Yeah. And I get, but that also kind of leads me to a, another a flaw, I think. I like I, I think you know the idea of having these clones who think they're human living on Earth, wiping out the remnants of the alien invasion, actually being the ones that are killing all the rest of humanity. You know, the idea of this this evil entity that does nothing on its own, that just, you know, consumes other people, other technologies that kind of just spits them out and gets them to do their uh, it's dirty work is really cool. I, I I love that concept. You know, he's 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 actually the enemy killing off the rest of humanity. But I really wish we got to know humanity a bit more. You know, we only have like a couple of scenes with him, and most of them are, are very you know plot heavy. I I think we 
really needed more time to just get to know, you know, become reacquainted with what humanity is now, how, you know, how it survives and how, how it expresses itself in this world. Like the little bits we got, like, you know, where they wear the scramblers for their voice and to mask their body heat and signature, whatever I think is like, (laughs) that makes them look like the aliens. That's pretty a cool touch, but we never really get to know who these people are. Like same problem with Julia. It feels a bit underwritten and, you know, kind of, they also feel more like plot devices than people. And I think it would have been thematically relevant also to, you know, just what humanize the humans. Yeah. And, and, you know, to give us a sense of what um, Jack ultimately sacrifices himself for. Yeah. For some reason, that is the only part to me that feels in a weird way, like it's, operating off of a budget and it might not be it's to me the there's just way too few people there first of all it, it doesn't really feel like this this is earth now this is the remnants of earth that we've been dealing with um and then just to think you know if the goal is to repopulate it's, it's it feels like we've yeah we got about 30 people here um I think I, I, think, I like, think there were a couple hundred. Like he, he, when he turns on the lights, you see people all around the balconies. But I, I just would have. I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen what that what does society look like now? Because I, I agree completely that conceptually, this is such a cool idea that to to survive the real quote-unquote aliens who are just clones of humanity, you have to become the aliens and convince them that they're the the humans for the time being. It's... it's, And, and then obviously, you know, the idea that the, the people that you're killing, that you think are aliens, are really the people that you're convinced are waiting for you on Titan and awaiting your return. Like, it's a really cool idea. And I, I love the way it's revealed because it's... I mean, you you kind of have that aha moment, but it's kind of up to up to you to really start putting everything together in your mind. That oh, okay, so the aliens aren't these people; they were having to survive these people and disguising this out. Like the way it all unfolds is really well done, and I I don't think it's it's you know this sort of egregious sin on the movie's part to to not really show the society and flesh it out more. But I do think that you know. The, the end of the film when he ultimately makes this last sacrifice it would be more meaningful if he was really and more truly acquainted with the real humanity he's like okay so these these people that i've been thinking i've been fighting for are really these people and this is how they live and these are this is who they are and so i'm just as convicted if not more so now to really be willing to lay my life down for them um so yeah i just it feels kind of like the the stereotypical post-apocalyptic survivor, like band of survivors. Um, it looks cool enough, but they're just kind of there. And I, Morgan Freeman is mostly able to transcend being underwritten just because he's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> uh, and he's always interesting to watch. Yeah. And then to, to kind of go back to certain aspects of the production design before we leave it behind completely. 
I, I want to talk about the sound of this movie, both oh, in terms yeah. of like uh, its score as well as just the sound editing and sound mixing. There, if I, I kind of wish that this movie actually more than kind of, I, I really wish this movie was a hit and everybody loved it because there are certain aspects of it that I feel like have the potential to become iconic. Uh, one of those things is like the, the sound that these droid, the, the drones make yes. like as they scan things and then like the doo doo as it's like content and moves on. It's, it's so distinct. And then this high pitch, almost squeal it makes as it's, you know, spinning out of control and ready to blow up. It's, it's repeated enough. It's like a refrain. You hear it again and again and again to the point to where you can associate the sound with the action that's going to be taken. And I, I, that, that level of attention to detail, once again, just to bring up the connection to a game like video games, that's what it feels like. It's there. There's a very functional purpose in a game and that's to let the player know what to expect. You almost have to react to that sound. And so to bring that kind of detail, um, to a movie because it serves the same function for the characters in the movie as it does for the actual players of the game and that it lets our characters know okay it's it's satisfied with the area the area is clear or you are you're not a hostile target or it's gearing up to shoot or, or whatever there's so many different sounds or just the the humming of these huge um hydro stations there everything has a very distinct sound. So by the end of the two hour movie, like if you were to play a sound like, Oh, I know what the drone's about to do, or, Oh, I know exactly where we are right now. Uh, so it's just, it's a very minimal, um, movie in terms of like actual audio, but what's there just feels like the potential to become iconic was really there for a lot of this. If only more people saw it and loved it. Yeah. And I love how scary they are. Like when he first fixes that drone, like for you know, you know he you know, he immediately has to scare off the dog. <laughs> you know, the, he knows the drone's just gonna blow it up. Um, but every time it's scanning him, you can see he's just like cringing. And whenever it leaves, he's like, oh gosh, thank goodness I survived that time. But there's such a palpable threat, uh, and it, and a lot of that is the sound design. They, they, they there's no like cute R two D two beeps. Is the 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 sounds they make feel so alien and threatening. I love just how un unemotive they are. Like it'll it'll, it'll scan you, point all its guns at you, then it'll just kind of beep and just go off into the sky. Like it does, it couldn't care less about you. Just then, then the way they move while they're fighting is beautiful. I, I mentioned a couple of the things they would do, but also this the sequence when um it was uh when it goes into the cave or the, to the human's compound and it's just flying around. It's like a horror sequence almost. And, but just the, there's something about the movement. There's something so precise. And yet it's also kind of bumping into walls. It's, it's flying backwards, shooting people. It's, it, it's such a impressive sequence. And I love how Kaczynski shoots action. There's no shaky cam. It all plays out in nice wide shots. You can see everything that's happening. But he also captures this really terrifying sense of speed and just how freaking deadly these things are. There's just such a menacing quality to how efficient they are. That's what makes them so scary. It's, you know, you're really having to think of 
ways to trip him up. You know, you shoot it in his back like the guy did as it as it's outside the compound scanning him and everybody's ducking behind the uh, the rocks. And I, I think actually visualizing the scanning area was really cool just for the sake of the audience to see, you know, it, it gives them a very clear idea of what they're able to see. And it makes it that much scarier because you know if that if an arm so much as like passes through their their blue scanning line and it, it, it's going to be made aware. Uh, and whenever Jack first scans the crash site and he's looking around and they show up and they're just going from one pod to the next, destroying everything in like this unflinching, uncompromising level of efficiency and destroying this. It's just, it's really scary so that you, you understand, especially in the scene in which he falls down through the hole and he's being scanned and he wants to breathe that sigh of relief and he finally does as it leaves. You now understand why because you've seen what these things are capable of. And and the scene of it, as it immediately after it um, disintegrates Vika and it's coming through the curtain that it's caught oh, on gosh. fire, like slowly approaching like a slasher villain or something. It's just everything scary and menacing about machinery is like embodied in this drone in a certain moment. And it's slowly approaching you, and you know what that means. Yeah, it's um, talking about like becoming iconic. That's that shot right there. It was cool. Is that is completely practical? They they, has, they had the drone on wheels and slid it through burning currents, and it's so scary. <laughs> yeah, it's these these drones are distinct to this movie in their look and sound and the way they act and move. Um, yeah, I. There's just something so practical about them. Um, and then the other aspect of the sound that I want to talk about is something that I know we both enjoyed a lot about this movie, and that's the score. This movie's score is like, it's, there's, it's a lot of the time not even present, but when it shows up, it's, I don't know, what, what, obviously I've already spoiled the fact that you're a huge fan, but what do you think of it? Oh. Uh- it it just gets your blood pumping. Um, I'm not normally one for like techno scores. Like I know people like swear by the uh, the Daft Punk score for Tron, but that, I don't know something about this one. Maybe it's because I care a lot more about this movie. But something about this one really uh, just captures the tone of this world. Like where he's just where he's just driving his motorcycle across this desert landscape, and the score is pounding or. Um, the uh this the track star waves that plays when they're in the pool um and then the the final music when it all comes together after he destroys the tent i mean it makes you want to cry and it's also like a cry and cheer at the same time it's really i don't know i mean i i i don't really know how to describe because i'm not really from i'm not hugely into like more electric electronic music but something about this just works well i i'm actually like i really really like the it's kind of electronic genre, um, and I am one of the people who swear by Daft Punk score for a uh, Fortron. So this this really didn't have anything to prove in terms of score. I was already gonna love it just because I I love this kind of sound, but I love the the blend of different sounds that you can hear in it. Like there are some p- portions of it where it it sounds very much like a conventional kind of score. Like you hear strings and things like that, but then you'll hear the occasional like synthesizer 
and it kind of starts elevating you and, you, and reminding you of what kind of movie you're in. And then, in terms, when it really does start getting more electronic, like just unashamedly electronic, there's almost a blend of like modern synthesizers and almost like an 80s kind of style of synthesizer and percussion, where it's like, it's this collision of modern and retro sensibilities in terms of music um that i just think is super cool which which, uh, really, which I, really makes sense for the product for how the production design is and how the world is it just it, yeah it, it belongs in this environment yeah it, it feels like like the movie looks like it's it's taking cues from the sci-fi films of the past including 80s ones while still being its own um and the music is doing the exact same thing where it's it's distinct to this movie but you can see how it's building upon and using our idea of what sounds sci-fi and combining it all together for just a really great track and and the the scene in the pool like there's it's almost like tiptoeing the line of cheese um but in a really good kind of way like and with the ending you just they're really pounding on these drums and the the synthesizers are like blaring through the speakers and it's almost melodramatic sounding, but it's just, it, it all works. And like you said, it, it, it elicits a, a legitimate emotional response from me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very, very cool sounding soundtrack that I will definitely listen to Spotify on my drives probably pretty often now. Yeah. Um, I guess I should probably dive into what, what was my biggest problem with the film the first time I saw it. It's less so now. Um, and it's, it's kind of very similar to the issues I have with Julia and the, the humans is that the villain also well, – they, they call her Sally. But I like the idea of just this this scavenging malevolence that just goes from world to world, creating nothing, just stealing stealing what they have there, using it to destroy them sucking the planet dry and moving on. That's a cool idea. But all we ever see is, you know, the face of Sally. And for most of the film, she's a benevolent thing. So we, it's like, it's like we don't know who this, this thing is, so we can't really hate it. And I think you're aware of the Irish is, F you, Sally. I think you're supposed to hate this thing, but you really don't because you don't know what it is. Um, and I, but I, I do love the sequence where they're flying in. It's very like 2001 Blade Runner kind of thing where it's like super ethereal and they're just kind of floating through these halls. And it's a gorgeous sequence, but it's again, I, I just, I don't feel much of anything for this villain. And while, yeah, I'm glad humanity's surviving. I like the characters. I, I, I'm, I'm appreciating his sacrifice. I, it doesn't hit me. I think the way I think it's trying to. So I'm I'm kind of conflicted with that because I do agree. I think we're supposed to cheer as these. It's almost like a smile you send it like from Jaws, where it's we're like this ultimate evil that the film is portrayed like with this is being destroyed, and we're we're cheering, and you don't really have that connection, that villainous connection with this. But on the other hand, I like how distant 
the the vil the villain is Sally or who, whatever this thing is. We I mean, we don't even we, we don't see any aliens. We don't see we don't see anything other than this floating gyrating pyramid looking thing, which also I think looks really cool. I I love that it it does go um, ethereal. Ethereal is exactly how what I had written in my notes is we have such a tangible grounded um, setting and aesthetic. And then we go into here and we haven't even talked about the cinematography of this movie, which is just really amazing. Yes. But these huge wide shots with these, these from these angles that almost look like they're paintings and the world begins to feel more and more alien. The more we go into where as these giant triangular doors shut behind us there's almost nothing that's familiar anymore and we get on this huge catwalk and there's this floating upside down pyramid that looks like it's made out of some sort of liquid it just feels so foreign and alien and in in a weird way i like knowing almost nothing about it that there's just this ethereal nearly all-powerful entity that is just sucking our world dry and so calculating that it, we don't even know that we're acting on its behalf. The more cold and distant and unknown about it, I think the more I like it. So I do understand that that as as a villain, we we as the audience are typically supposed to really hate them, and and I think the movie does want us to here. Like I said, that, that line is very indicative of the fact that the movie wants us to cheer that this ultimate evil is vanquished. We don't really get that. But at the same time, I like that it's more consistent with the idea of it being this entirely alien and cold thing that we don't understand but know we have to stop. Yeah. Um, I guess it's probably my feelings are also a complication of, you know, not of having the, both the humans and Julia be underrated, having an underwritten villain too just kind of doesn't punish me as much hard as I wish it would. Um, yeah, I guess you know, if I had to choose, I would much rather the humans be better developed because I, I think, you know, just as a concept and as a design, it is pretty impressive. And I love you, know, as you said, you know, just how perfect this plan is. Like, even like the unarmored drone they have in the basement, that is there for them. That's gonna that that drone is there to kill them if they act up. You know, it's it's not there for her parents. <laughs> They're never gonna get the armor. Uh, I it's just it's just so scary once you realize how manipulative this thing is. And something else, it's almost like they anticipated that memories could potentially resurface and so the entire villain it its personification is that of like the ultimate good in their previous life this mission the the, the head of the mission that was led to stop this thing before that's the personality it takes on it recreates this entire identity that were they starting to remember anything like there's there's nothing but good connotations with this kind of memory in this person so just it takes on something familiar to them and something that was good before and pretends to be that same kind of good. It, it's Sally is still in the exact same kind of position she was in before. So these humans are already used to it. And so I just that's such a cool idea that the closest thing we get to any sort of personality 
of this alien is still something borrowed from our world. We are the villains, and the people we answer to is the ultimate villain now. It's it's just a really cool idea. And like I guess you know it maybe like it took Vika's feelings and assumed you know these people are obviously a couple, but again it was go back to you know we were talking about how the simplest of human emotions, you know where it just wasn't quite right. And I li- I like how it was it was uh, again the simple heroism. It was Tom. It was a Jack Harper's decision to sacrifice himself and t- to save his wife and the rest of the crew. That ultimately led, in the end, to the da- the hurt uh, the the entity's downfall. And at the same time, it was you know simple human feeling like jealousy and protectiveness that almost led to complete ruin when uh, Vika kind of betrayed them. Um, I, I just love you know it's it, the ba- the balance of how things play out is, is so is just kind of on a knife edge. Where it could go one way or the other, just depending on, on just our humanity. And I really love this, this. I like how you know where Julia volunteers to go, but he replaces her with um with Morgan Freeman's character. I, it just hit me really hard this time. Just that him juxtapose him saving her life with at that time with him saving her life in the future, knowing that it was his choice to save her life that saves humanity in the end. It just felt, it just it seemed like there's a lot of just poetry to it all that I thought, I thought was really, really emotional. Yeah. In, in terms of the idea, I think it works really well. And something I love is his plan going in. It's rewatching it and rethinking about it, knowing what we know, it's still really consistent and it makes even more sense now you know, as he's, she can detect the lie in his voice. And so he's literally able to speak a completely untainted truth and still get in. You know, mm-hmm. I want to save Julia and humanity. And this is the only way I see. And it, it completely works for the alien, but it's completely true for him and his plan to take it down. So that the way he's able to trick it and get inside is so cool. Um, the the only thing that I was thinking about, I just felt like they, as nearly all-powerful as this thing is, I feel like it would have de- been able to detect who is in the pod too, but maybe that's not how it works, and I should just shut up and let the movie well, play out. It's a human-designed pod. She, she didn't design it. so. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's true. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, just a couple more things. Um, uh, I just I got to rant a bit more about the canyon battle <laughs> with all the drones. <laughs> I had some issues with Joseph Kaczynski's direction of the uh, action in Tron. I loved how he shooted wide shots, but sometimes it felt kind of awkward. I think he's really growing as an action filmmaker across these films. He just it, it felt so much more fast and dangerous, especially when they're just flying through the canyon and, and they're doing all these crazy tricks that I have never seen before. Um, just a really fantastic action sequence. Like, I think all the action beats, be it you know, when he when they trap him in the the old library, or um, or when the droids killing the uh, survivors, I think just all the action beats are really um really solid and exciting. And it, oh, it's the, the 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 fight between the Tom Cruises is really cool because it's, it's I think aside from that one opening shot where it has it's on him, then it pans over to him. I don't think there's anything digital in that at all. 
they just because they just do clever angles where you don't see the other's face. It's all it's all practical, but it's still a well choreographed fight. It's not like they're tr- having to crop out all the action, do a bunch of shaky cam. I, I, I'm I'm still kind of con- confused at how he does it because you know we've had fights be- between people before, but usually they're either all, all digital or really awkwardly shot. But this had like really clean choreography and uh, great. Uh, camera work but it was still completely practical and you believed he was fighting himself yeah that after it finished i wanted to go back and rewind it because i didn't even realize the fact that that had just happened that one i was just so invested in the film at that point that i was i was watching it to to enjoy it but when it was done i was like wait i don't it was tom cruise fighting tom cruise how did they do it and so it is really impressive because yeah there's no awkward angles or they're they're never hiding anything and you're never just looking at the back of one of his one of their heads as the other does something and then cutting to the other angle it's it's very real and in the moment action that never feels like it's trying to hide something while it's very clearly trying to hide something um so yeah it's really really cool yeah, and the, I mean, you know, it, it's the oldest. It's the oldest joke in the book. You know, you should see the other guy. <laughs> it was kind of funny <laughs> in this context. And I, I don't have any of the lines that made me laugh. But something else, there. This movie had a really clever set or sense of wit to me. Like, it's not super often, but there's a lot of really great moments, um, really great lines that that are very grounded in this reality. And it's not just kind of one-off jokes. It's like what you said, in the context, that kind of line works when you're here. And there were a couple of other moments like that where it's, this this movie is using its setting and concept in a, like to capitalize on all aspects, even in terms of humor. Yeah, I like Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. He almost feels like a character by the end of it. And I love that that's another touch that just makes jack feel so much more human because i mean i you know i'm living in a city i everybody talks to themselves in some sort of capacity and so obviously it makes sense he would in this situation but it's just it's that one more detail it's like um i forget the character's name from i am legend but it's like you know him talking to his dog or whoever you or wilson from castaway it's it's just a way to make these people feel real. Like this, while it is a movie, in this world, it's not a movie. These are people, and this is a real situation. And, and it's a nice bit of character because you know, it's this super sleek, clean, utilitarian uh, vehicle, and he has a little bobblehead on the da- on the uh, dashboard. That's such a such a human thing to do to try to take this very th- this thing that's designed in every aspect to be as efficient as possible. And he finds the one way to kind of to humanize it and to make it his. Like this is his craft. Yeah, I was when I was what uh, this is kind of a different t- topic. But when I was when I started this film again the second time, and I I was getting really worried because the narration felt super on the nose, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that was probably uh, after like a studio note after the fact. But like the narration is really awkward. But after that, I was like worried maybe, maybe this film is far more you know in your face and kind of. Uh, blunt than I remember, but after that, I think, I think the story is very well told. I think just the way it develops the mystery and then slowly teases out that, then you 
find then like it le- then it immediately leads to a new mystery like at first they, like you wonder you know how like when they try to capture him or then he finds Julia and they're trying to kill him like who is this and then he finds humanity and then you would think when he finds humanity they would have just a long exposition dump with all the answers to his questions but no there's still like more layers of mysteries like where he goes and has to find his clone um I think just the way it teases out the story is really subtle and it keeps you engaged for the entire runtime. Um, and I, I just really wish they hadn't had the goofy narration in the beginning. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm usually not a big fan of narration, especially like opening your film with narration. But yeah, aside from that, I do love how how it would kind of set apart different plot details like it there there is never that moment it could have so easily have completely been a different film once morgan freeman showed up and just gone like here's everything you need to know and had a long tried to disguise exposition by some sort of cool speech but we all know exactly what it is but to just piece out the um the amount of information i think that's also what helped the pacing is we're this this plot seems like you kind of understand what's going on, and then all of a sudden you realize there's a mystery. Like, right, there was a homing beacon. The thing uh, that the aliens are talking to something off planet, and then the oh she crashed at their beacon, and oh the aliens are human, and then oh there's clones, oh and then this is your wife who you ejected sixty years in the past. Like, it's just one after the other, and they're set apart at just the right time intervals to where we're always we never hit that moment like okay now i know everything even at the very end with morgan freeman being the one who's in the pod and her being pregnant now having a you know a child and reuniting with the rest of humanity we're we're always learning something new the plot never it never shows all its cards at once it always has something else ready to some other card ready to play to surprise us yeah <laughs> one funny uh, thing about that ending that uh, I saw, uh, I didn't think about when I saw it, but the uh, the uh, how it should have ended, you know, where he has, you know, I am Jack Harper and I am home. And then he shows another clone, hey, I'm Jack Harper, I'm home. And then another clone comes up. Uh, yeah, I guess they didn't think about that, but it's a good ending. <laughs> yeah, as I was, I was kind of worried because I had heard that a lot of people did not like the ending. Um, is it is it him as a clone returning? Is that what people? Because I haven't looked it I up. I think since. that, and you know, maybe the we got to go blow up the bad guy kind of thing that we don't really know much about, and probably added on to a couple of the, like the characters being underwritten. I think it's just a couple of things that build up to that. I was I was really expecting because I was enjoying all of it, and I was consistently ready to find something to be annoyed with and. There wasn't anything that was just super apparent. I, I was saying things like, okay, I, I mean, I guess people might not like this, but surely that's not why so many people seem to have band together around disliking this ending. And so when the credits rolled, I was like, wait a second. I've, I haven't found anything I'm re- I really dislike. And I thought that it was somehow the fact that another clone shows up and she's, okay, well, now I'm going to, this is this is my new Jack. But to me, that's consistent because she's already done that. She knew that the previous Jack wasn't her real husband. Um, but is he? 
dun dun dun. But like it it did feel as like it, it was consistent with the idea of who these clones are, the fact that they once they really learn about their past, they become that same person again. They think exactly like he would. So he sees her and he falls in love with her and and in a way that still is her husband. He's based entirely on him. Everything he would do in this situation is a guarantee of what the real man would do. So to me it's it's a really clever way of not minimizing the hero's sacrifice while still giving everyone else a happy ending. Like, it's it's a compromise that I really liked because I don't feel like anything was really undermined. Yeah. All right. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to mention before we move into our final thoughts? Um, so the only... For me, the only thing that I was not a big fan of, aside from, like, the humans... I guess this is this is a more a closer look at a certain aspect of the humans being underwritten that I dislike was I feel like the second in command was just very cliche as a character. <laughs> like everything about him, Jack feels beyond like a movie character. He feels like a person. Vika feels very human. We've, we've talked at great length about how this, this movie makes its characters feel human, but he's just kind of, he feels like a movie character. Um, I mean, he looks like a model who walked in to be gruff and I don't know. Uh, he didn't feel very believable to me. That's why he plays the uh, the handsomest man in the realm in Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Uh, and then I feel like there was one moment. I, I think the attack on the, the refuge or the, the um, like the, I guess just the, the remnant of humanity was maybe a little bit unnecessary. Uh, in the end, it feels like it, it was the only action sequence of all of them. That to me, felt like it was there to meet a quota. As as well shot as it is, to me, it, I'm not sure of what it really. I don't know. Well, I, I think it, it establishes the threat, the true threat. Like we see, this is the damage that just one or two of them can do. And and the end we see that there are eight of them speeding. To, they're they're coming to finally destroy humanity once and for all. It's 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 the threat that, that the ending has to thwart in the end. I guess you know the Death Star coming around the planet. Yeah, I, I guess I just at that point they were already scary to me, and so I there was nothing left to convince me of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so also at that point I was just I was ready to see now that you know he's back I, I love scenes in movies and shows where everybody is finally on the same page and they're united in a goal like that one moment in which every everyone knows what the goal is and so we're, we're kind of building that moment we're like okay this is it we're gonna take the fight back and then we get a a scene of where everybody's being attacked by these things that I kind of already, I already knew was dangerous. And so for me with the, the momentum that the movie was building, that kind of slowed it down for me. Like the movie before that always felt like it was building forward. He's, he's about to learn something. He's about to do something. He's going back so he can learn another revelation. We're always at the edge of our seat learning something or, if we're not learning something, we're about to act on something that we know. And so that scene to me felt like one of the only instances in the movie in which, okay, now we're, we continue to build on this momentum 
but then we're attacked for like a 10 minute sequence and in that moment like yes this is a well shot and cool sequence but i'm ready to take the fight to them like don't slow us down i'm ready to get the like i'm super invested and i'm ready to see this play out that i think that the pacing of that moment would have the the third act would have felt a little bit more smooth and made better use of how how well this movie has been paced so far and the fact that it's it's always moving forward that was one to me a small instance of of the movie kind of going from a sprint to a jog whenever i'm ready to finally break out and cross that finish line so i don't know that was that was almost the only negative thing i had written in my notes is just just because of how it stuck out to me in that moment it to me personally of of being the audience the ideal audience member of like all right we're getting to the finale i'm so excited and invested um so yeah i think it, the the film would have been better if if we had just if jack had gotten back everyone's on board and we go into our finale uh but that may just be me <laughs> yeah they never really bothered me i think it's, it's a fantastic sequence um, no, it, as as a as a piece of action it's it's really well shot there's a lot of cool instances and it's kind of able to avoid a lot of stuff that happens in action scenes that i i think other directors would definitely fall prey to so it's fun to watch it's just in terms of my investment i'm like jack's probably not gonna die no one's serious is probably gonna die i kind of just want to get to the climax because i'm excited now hmm. <laughs> is that all you ready for the final uh, yeah, I'm ready. All right. Um, so I guess I'll start. Um, like, ultimately, I think the thing about my complaints with this movie is that none of them, like, make it bad. For me, it's like, this is a good movie. But if they had just sharpened up the characters uh, uh, and uh, and maybe given us a bit more humanity and maybe a little bit more with the villain, this could have been, like, a masterpiece. Because I, I really think there is so much potential in this film. Um, and just... just all the the vision that Joseph Kaczynski brings to every frame is gorgeous and 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 unique um but also i think the storytelling is really strong and the character the the two characters that we really do get to know are fantastic i think the, the story is very all the action is is character driven and believable um i think the mis- the way the mysteries are presented and then played out and then the final answers we get are very fa- are good it's just like little bits that I think where they've just gone a little farther, maybe one or two more rewrites. This could have been like a true sci-fi masterpiece as it is. I think it's a very f- good, enjoyable uh, sci-fi film that you know, is just maybe not as great as it could have been. Yeah. For me, this is a movie among a few others that I'll point to when people claim that they want originality, like speak with your wallet because we, we need to reward films like this that that do things so unique and have such a clear vision. Like there are certain instances of this movie that I think are look kind of on par with things like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where like the, the entrance into the Tet is just gorgeous and ethereal and almost haunting, and the way it's so foreign to us. Um, and so, just visually, this film is fantastic looking i think it has a uh, a couple of really great performances um and it's very confident in its storytelling you know it, it doesn't give us all the answers and kind of hope that we're on board for here 
um, from here on out and kind of try to keep our attention by nonstop action sequences, it's very meticulous and, um, and mature in how it kind of slowly doles out the plot and asks us to kind of truly put everything together. Um, so I just, I think it's a very strong movie that, like you said, with a couple of rewrites could have been a, just an amazing movie, but as it stands, it's a very good movie that, you know, leaves a lot to enjoy. Okay, well, so that was our review of Oblivion. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, if you did, I'd like to ask you to please go and rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. And if you want to find our other reviews, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are underrated underscore pod. All right, um, so there were, as we said earlier, we are going to be making some changes to this uh, to the show. Ultimately, uh, we're going to be rebooting it, so we're going to be uh, probably away for about a month, maybe a little bit more, just uh, recording new episodes, and then and then we will relaunch uh, the show. Um, it'll, it'll, there'll be some changes. I will, I'll, I'll release a um, kind of an announcement episode as we get closer, detailing exactly what we are doing with the show. But uh, I, I, I'm really excited. I think we could uh, do something pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's a, a really fun idea that um, that looks at movies in a new, different kind of cool way. That's fun. Yeah, um, but before that, we actually we will be uh, putting out a, uh, a live reaction for uh, Justice League. Um, when I, I'm going down to we'll meet up together, we'll watch that, and then we'll uh, we'll put out a sh- uh, show reviewing our, our thoughts on that. And uh, it'll it'll be probably a, a day or two after that movie comes out, which I think is the 17th. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Yeah, and whether it's good or bad, it's going to be an emotional episode. At least for me. <laughs> yeah. So until next month, when we unveil our new master plan, it's going to reinvent podcasts. We will see you next time. See ya.